0: We got a phone call and we rushed to the hospital. And they had already taken Zach. And we, and we got to the emergency room and they rushed us back to this room. And it was full of doctors and they had tubes all in Zach. And Katie, my daughter, came up to me and you know she was, you know we were all upset. And she said, "Daddy, tell him how much you love him." We knew he was dying. And um, she said, "Tell him how much you love him." And so I got in his ear and I just confessed to him how much I did love him and what he had meant to me. I looked down to the end of the bed, and this is, this is what I remember most. And my son-in-law, Kyle, is one of my favorite people. Not a whole lot of dads can say that about son-in-law, two great ones. And Kyle, Zach's dad, was crying at the bottom of his bed, holding Zach's feet. And he said these words. He said, Zach, all I ever wanted to do in my life was to be your daddy. And he had been, and continues to be this day, a great dad. To his other children. The reality of all of that night, again, was starting. You know, we eventually, I had to, uh, you know, talk to the doctors uh, and I looked at them and I said, Are you waiting for us to tell you something? And they said, Yeah. And I said, I looked at Katie and Kyle. I
1: said, You know, it's over. You're listening to the Refraining Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindall thompson
2: Hi, my name is Colleen Swindall thompson and I welcome you once again to an interview today with my friend, David Glover. David, thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Thank you. Looking forward to it.
2: This has been great. We've been planning for a while, haven't we? Yeah,
0: we've been talking.
2: David has some things to share, a story to share that will relate, I think, to every person who is either suffering, waiting, or enduring a trial that doesn't seem to make sense. And he's going to share some hope with us. Actually, an amazing story. So, David, let's start out just with where you were, probably what would it be? Eight years ago now.
0: Well, when Zach was born. Well, it was just go all the way back. It's it's um fourteen years, fourteen years ago. Wow. And um, I always tell people, I thought I was I was I hurt my arm a lot of times, pat myself on the back. What a great Christian I was, doing all the right things. Um, but it was just like God told me one day. I look back on it now though he didn't audibly tell me he obviously did Mm -hmm. he called me to his side and said i'm going to do something that's going to draw you to me uh more than you would ever know and um you know again we were doing things i'd gotten to retire early and didn't know exactly what i was going to do in my life but i was only 47. Mm -hmm. and uh we were taking trip, taking groups of mission trips down to the amazon and we were really you know, like I say, you know, I, I just thought I was I was as deep as I could possibly be. I love the Lord with all my heart, as deep as my heart was, but God chose to do something to make it a lot deeper. And He did it through my first grandson. And Zach was born in 1998. And that started a uh, journey that I, ha- I will be forever thankful. So that's how it all started with the birth of my first grandson.
2: Now you say a journey that you will be forever thankful, but... Tell me a little bit about Zach and when you say the Lord brought a depth into my heart and in my words, an intimacy with him. Mm -hmm. How did that all happen when, I mean, you were serving the Lord, very, very devout and involved. Tell us about that beginning journey and where you ended after four years.
0: You know, it's interesting Colleen, because you know, it didn't happen overnight because we were like so many people just like yourself. You know, you, in my case, I didn't wake up a special-need parent, but I woke up a special-need grandparent. Hmm. And um, similar, but I realize it's not quite the responsibility. But somehow for me, God just used Zach, and Zach became my best friend. And um, however, he was born with a host of issues. He had, uh, he was, we found out first, uh, you know, my family's a medical kind of family, my wife's a nurse. Zach's mom's a nurse, my other daughter's a doctor, so they, they knew things weren't exactly right, but Zach was, he had hydrocephalus, had to have a shunt put in, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, he was blind virtually, he could see maybe something that we're not sure what, and then he started having seizures, so he had a bad combination of things, so God's working on me was not immediate but it was sure and profound as I got to know Zach, and as Zach and I learned to communicate, and I, I tell people, it's really the truth, I got to spend at least a part of every day of his life with him, except if I was gone somewhere on, on a trip or something, I wasn't with him, but if I was home, he was only about 15 minutes away, and and uh, I kid with Katie and Kyle, my daughter and grandson, but Zach was, if you ask Zach who his best buddy was, it'll be his granddaddy. <laughs> God started great. It, it was. It was a it was a unique relationship and, and it's interesting. Um, one of the things also that I'm I, I constantly say is how God used a little boy who never said a word, who never take a step to change things. He not just you know, I, I would not be so presumptuous to say, Well God had these purposes, purposes A, B, C and D in the birth of Zach, but I know one and one of them was to deepen me and to cause me to love God in a special way through this little boy. And, um, you know, I'm sort of, people would look at what we went through and say, well, that was that was not fun. Well, it wasn't necessarily fun, but, you know, I, I feel sorry for people who don't have an experience like that, that's so found and life-changing. And uh, Zach died at four and a half, uh, very unexpectedly. He had 15 surgeries uh, and was doing great. He was, um, trooper and he died very unexpectedly at home and um, that that whole night was a we're going to talk about this book I've got coming out I wrote this chapter or the last part of the book about the night that Zach died and I still can't read it I can't read it I have to put it down I can't read back through that was probably the most painful time because we weren't ready ever to let him go and it sort of shocked us so um, that's how it happened
2: well but, you you're on the other side of things, but I know there are people, parents, grandparents, loved ones, sisters, brothers, children, friends, who are in the midst of how do you make it day to day? Mm -hmm. And with Zach's condition being so complicated, I mean, David, how, how was that as a grandparent for you? And I mean, you, you obviously treasure his life. But there had to have been moments of just utter grief or bewilderment.
0: It is. You know, you know this, Colleen, as a special needs mom, one of the ways God works, I believe, is really through grief. He uses that as a draw to bring us closer to him. And, you know, I can tell you right now, there's still things that happen in my life where I see children. I see it through my other grandchildren that I long for Zach, you know, that I long, I wish I could see him doing those very same things. And so there's no, the, the magic potion, the magic bullet for making life easier is no different for me now than it was then or it was before. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit who is the comforter and who ca- is the only one that is capable and has the power to bring peace and can soothe Feelings of inadequacy. I know, you know, as a parent, we talk about this all the time. You just feel like, what am I doing? How am I doing this? I felt that way as a granddad. I, I laugh and talk about the stories with Zach. We had to get him his, we had to get him his um, seizure notes. and we had, a little, we had to pour some stuff in his oatmeal because he had sort of sensitivities and he wouldn't eat anything. So I remember so many mornings. Of, you know trying to help Katie and trying to feed him his oatmeal and he didn't want to eat oatmeal that morning but that, <laughs> I would pry his mouth open with that spoon and try to get that oatmeal in there and then it wouldn't be an hour later he would have a seizure and I just I just long for the day that I can ask his forgiveness for doing stuff like that intentionally good trying for his benefit but his not ability to tell me Grande. I don't want oatmeal this morning. My head hurts. I don't feel good. But he couldn't relate that to us. And that created another problem for me, basically, because I was almost obsessed because of his disabilities that he was happy, that he was doing what he, could, what, he, what he wanted to do because it was impossible for him to tell us what he wanted to do. And so we just had to guess all the time. And yet we had to do things that were medical. And, you know, my daughter, like you, a special needs mom, and Zach's dad, Kyle, were just great doing that. You know, it was me over here that was sort of obsessing just because my granddad and I was so close to him. Even when I was away from him, I was worrying, is he he happy? Is he getting to do what he wants to do? And um, because he can't tell people that. But through all of that, God taught me so much, so many things that I know I could not have learned any other way. And again, I feel sorry for people who don't have a Zach in their life, uh, contrary to having
1: one.
2: Well, it's interesting that you said what you said about grief. I pulled up A Grief Observed, which is Lewis's, C.S. Lewis's writing, more journal like than any of his other works because mm-hmm. he was so brilliant. But after he lost his wife and he yeah. journals so much and his, the upheaval in his soul, he writes this about grief. And um, you just explained much of it. He says, No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. Mm -hmm. At other times, it feels like being mildly drunk or concussed, which is a concussion Mm -hmm. to the head. There is a sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I dread moments when the house is empty. There are moments most unexpectedly When something inside me tries to assure me that I don't really mind so much, people get over these things. No one ever told me about the laziness in grief or about where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. Go to him when you have no needs and he embraces you. But in your time of desperate need, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door that feels slammed shut why is he so present in our prosperity and so absent in our trouble that is from the man in the midst of grief and yet when there's been a death there can be a resurgence of some of those feelings of fear you mentioned being away from him and wondering is he happy is he able to do the most that he can do and be for that day i mean it's a being a special needs mom is. It's one of those questions you can't answer, ever. <laughs> you, I mean, you just want to know, because you want their best. Tell me what some of that darker places look like for you, because there's obviously so much more about the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Well, you know, as we talk about this, and as I talk about it, sometimes people would think that I'm sort of glamorizing it. and, and You know, having a child with severe disabilities that you love is never, it's just not, it's not easy. As I look back, as I think back now, because you're right, I'm on the other side, I really am embarrassed lots of times for things that I did and and patience that I did not have and for um, not understanding better. You know, and I know that is one of the things that just constantly gnaw at special need parents is i mentioned it earlier sort of an inadequacy am i doing am i doing not just the right thing but the best thing and am i doing it at the the right time for my child because you know you know if you go out to the internet and you just google and i tell people this all the time in training i said if you just google take for instance cerebral palsy then it's like 14 something million hits and if you look through those things you'll see different kinds of therapies and if you start reading about them they're going on all over the world and then you start reading and I remember doing this I remember reading well there was something in Poland with hyperbaric treatment but if you didn't get the child there by you know by 18 months it was too late
1: yeah. so you
0: read through these things and you just feel like I'm just the worst parent or in my case the grandparent here because I had I had, was blessed with the money to do some of these things and I didn't know what to do either you know and it just you know this sense of to me Grief manifested itself at that time in an inadequacy of um, being able to meet the needs. The the grief of his not being able to do and to be was always there, but that became, you know, and you're going to know what I'm talking about when I say this. It was like when I would go to Sunday school, I was a group of some of my Christian friends, and they would say things like, I am so tired, you know, today, because yesterday I was with my my granddaughter, who was at dance, and then we had to go to a piano recital. And then we played, you know, my little grandson had a little league game. And I would look at him, and honestly, I'd want to slap him upside the head and say, Do you realize how thankful you ought to be for being so tired today? You know, because this little boy is not going to ever be able to do that. And of course, I didn't know at the time if that was going to be the only grandchild I had. But those kind of feelings, I look back on and I'm embarrassed about. But I, I think that they are real in the lives of parents and and grandparents and aunts and uncles sometimes who are involved in the situation. So that's what happened with me.
2: I think, David, instead, because there are moments in hearing you talk that things are starting to bubble up um, in my own situation. And there are those moments where you want to just say to someone, Can you not be so upset about missing your lunch? I mean, I feed a grandson who seizes or has seizures an hour after I feed him, and he can't talk, and he can't even tell me what he wants for lunch. I mean, I think those are the human sides of living in a broken world.
0: It is. So, you know, Colleen, It is. those are some of the things, some of the best things that God, and again, I'm not anywhere close to, to being what I ought to be, but had I not known Zach and then been thrust into this world where I've met so many other people with disabilities, one of the things that God has taught me is just to be thankful, number one. Yeah. Not that I'm not like them, but to be thankful for what God has allowed me to do and to have a, an appreciation and more of a sensitivity to them. And I constantly find finding myself, imagine, David, if you are, what if you couldn't move your body the way you wanted it to move, or you couldn't think, or you could not? I think about one of the worst things I can think of is not being able to respond to people who love me in a way that they understood that I knew that they loved me. And and I think about these things, and we can identify with these people some and being around them, it that's how God, I think it's one of the ways that God refines us. I really, really do.
2: I really do, too, Um, because we look back and there were so many times and continue to be times where I wish I was more patient at that moment or where I responded in a certain way and now look back and think, what was I thinking? But again, it's you do the best that you can. And I think that's where humility grows. I think that's where grace grows so deep. And... We are awakened to a life in between heaven and then what people are searching for here on earth. When you lost Zach, I didn't realize it was so unexpected.
0: Mm -hmm. It probably shouldn't have been Colleen, you know, given his condition, but we we just, we had never thought about it. I can honestly say we didn't, so.
2: Well, you're fighting the fight and you're wanting to make it work.
0: I just didn't think about that.
2: And then you talk about not being able to read that chapter um Mm -hmm. if i can probe a little bit about some of the feelings that you felt that night what would you say
0: Uh, that's a good question Um, i'm going to do my best to to say what i'm going to say but i think the, um, I'm gonna
2: probably cry, so go <laughs> I, ahead.
0: <laughs> I, you know, and I don't mind doing that. That's the reason I can't read it. It, it. it still goes back, but it's not so much the the tragedy of the night. It was the um, being able to all in one instant have all of this stuff come into focus for me. And uh, and I think it summarized best is we we got a phone call and we rushed to the hospital and they had already taken Zach and we. And we got to the emergency room, and they rushed us back to this room. And it was full of doctors, and they had tubes all in Zach. And Katie, my daughter, came up to me, and you know she was, you know, we were all upset. And she said, "Daddy, tell him how much you love him." We knew he was dying, and um, oh. she said, "Tell him how much you love him." And so I got in his ear, and I just confessed to her um, how much I did love him and what he had meant to me. I looked down to the end of the bed. And this is, this is what I remember most. And my grandson, excuse me, my son-in-law, Kyle, is one of my favorite people. Not a whole lot of you know dads can say that about son-in-law, Bye. two great ones. And Kyle, Zach's dad, was crying at the bottom of this bed, holding Zach's feet. And he said these words. He said, Zach, all I ever wanted to do in my life was to be your daddy. And he had been, and continues to be this day, a great dad to his other children. And the reality of all of that night, again, was starting, you know, we eventually, I had to, uh, you know, talk to the doctors, uh, and I looked at them, and I said, are you waiting for us to tell you something? And they said, yeah. And I said, I looked at Katie and Kyle, I said, this, you know, it's over. And uh, they started removing tubes. And How started back- How
2: did you do that? Oh.
0: Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I knew it was, I knew it was over. And I knew Zach has gone. But they removed the tubes and for the first time in his whole life, uh, we could hold Zach without the um stiffness of cerebral palsy. And he was he was gone. We were holding his little body. But I think I'd like to talk about the joy of the night in the sense that it was it was um I guess we saw it most when I was running, you know, we ran out of the room and and I was calling people family and so forth this and all happened and I came back in the room one time and I think this is a great lesson that I I commend my daughter and and my son-in-law for doing but they had another child too it was two years old Ben at the time and Ben was right in there with us and when I came back in the room he wasn't in there when Zach died but they had brought Zach brought Ben into the room and I walked back in the room one time and Ben was sitting at the head right by Zach's little body and he said granddaddy I said what he said don't worry Zach is in heaven and that's what he told me and I thought then you know out of the mouth of babes uh, come truth and so you know then it was then I could finally relax I didn't have to worry about Zach anymore and that was the first time so um, oh my! Um, but through all that and I have to be and I tell people this so many times I would have to be and I probably am in other ways. But I'd have to be the biggest idiot and fool in the world not to have gone through that so obvious God's moving through this little boy in my life to not then do what I do. You know, it would just be difficult. It would be crazy on my part to just say, okay, God, you've allowed me to experience this, see things that I would have never seen any other way. And Now I'm going to go back live life some other way. Can't do it. Can't do it.
2: It changes you totally. Exactly, and it's very hard to communicate that or to explain that to someone who hasn't had a Zach or yeah. who hasn't had a tragedy so huge that they are bewildered in many ways to know how to care, how to give, what to do, how to respond.
0: Exactly, you know, in the whole area of pure of uh, special need families, you know, it's it is, and and I share with people this, you know, this is me and my. My simple way of thinking—they, you know—about the how we do a lot of work with, with uh, siblings that are growing up in these homes. Yep. And and you're going to know what I'm going to say. And I said, you know, this is not based on scientific evidence. This is not empirical proof. I said, but from my experience, a sibling who grows up with a person with special needs in that family, they are—they see what their mom and dad go through, or in so many cases, it's just a mom because the dad takes off. But when they go through that, they end up one of two ways. And thankfully, they end up either as one of the God's special, chosen, strong, courageous, great character people or jerks. There's very little in between. You know, to walk away and to experience all of that and then to have that not affect you profoundly in a good way and and create in you a sensitivity and caring and and i found out that siblings of special needs they have brothers and sisters of special needs are normally some of the greatest people alive
2: they can be and i think you're exactly right um now you we're going to transition here to some some really great things happening but i want to say i hear you say speak about the work that your daughter and son-in-law did Mm -hmm. and with siblings there is a there's a choice to be made always and when, wouldn't you say then that the how the parents respond is so vital to teaching the children how to respond to life because it has the opportunity in it to create a resilient a magnificent person but it also has the opportunity to create a bitter exactly angry and resentful person so much of that is on the parent as a grandparent, what what advice or direction would you say um, that brought you to where you are? Cause you are one of the greatest people to talk to, full of optimism, full of life. I say that sincerely. How did you get to that place? Cause I want parents to hear, you know, your kids have choices and you also have choices. Here's what I'd say about how to make good
0: ones. Wow. That's a good question. I'm not sure I can answer. I'm not sure I'm the right person to even answer that
2: question. <laughs> well, you're the only one I'm talking to. So you know, let's like, help
0: you It's like other things. I'll just, I'm going to have to take it back to the context of being a Christian. One of the things that I'll, you know, and you probably said this to yourself, I wonder, and I really, I'm amazed how people go through grief, you know, maybe a death without being a Christian. What if you if you don't, if you just don't believe anything, if you're an agnostic or an atheist, it doesn't matter, but you don't believe that God created you and that person, that there's a heaven and that you're, you know, that that person is a Christian and you're gonna see them again. I just don't know how you go through that. And so even my, my I guess my encouragement to parents is in the midst of when the diagnosis comes in and in, you know, the Sort of the myth, so many times is that there's a, I kid all the time that most people think, and I did before Zach was born, that kids are born with a toe tag mm-hmm. that it has written on there all their diagnoses. But in reality, you know that's a that's normally a period of months that diagnoses, and sometimes it's years, and sometimes it's never that a diagnosis. Dealing with that, dealing with your own broken dreams and hopes, dealing with the fact that you don't know anything about whatever it is your kid has. I mean you never no parent ever gets any training to know how to do it, dealing with that, and then dealing with what you just taught you know there's this it's not stated, but it's there. it's almost a pressure to be that super parent that you first thought special needs parents were supposed to be, and you know that whatever that is, you ain't you know you exactly. may be coming that way, but you're not you're not that ideal that you think it's supposed to be, so given all of that. I think back into the Christian context is that through the pain, through the crying, through the frustration, through the fits that are thrown, the aggravation, all of that, you know, that you can just be honest and real, go before the Lord, lay it all down and and, watch, and let your kids see you do that, you know, and yeah. to confess those things and to be real. And, and that's the same thing that guards against bitterness because as soon as we start thanking God for, I mean literally thanking God as it says in First Thessalonians 5.18, that in everything, in all such situations, thanking God in the midst of it and literally for it because we don't know it, but believing that God loves us and has given us this child, this grandchild, this little brother, this is his perfect great plan. And that we're getting to be participants in it, you know, and that will, you know, it doesn't guard against bitterness, but having not an understanding, but an acceptance that God really does love me and He's not punishing me because, you know, with this whole area of, of grief goes hand in hand with guilt because any, any, almost any parent, any grandparent will say, I have this child because I look back what I used to do in college, I made this decision. And to think, to have the notion that God is punishing us
1: exactly. with
0: one of those special blessings, that's the craziest thing in the world, really. It, it comes, that's a, that's a thought from hell, really, that this person who was perfectly formed and created just the way God wanted him is punishment to me, and that that creates bitterness in me. You know, we just can't allow that to happen, and we can't, we won't allow that to happen when we stay in the shadow of the cross.
2: Then it all boils down to the mindset that you choose to have is what I'm hearing you say. The reality is we won't understand. The reality is it is more unbearable than can ever be described. The reality is we don't know what to do and we feel guilty when we do what we think we should do and it doesn't work. Exactly. But at the cross, we have to fall down and say, God, you are so good that you sent even your son who was killed. And there's a purpose in this. Help me see beyond this present pain to what I don't know. Faith is a walk of things unseen, not seen. Meaning we're not going to know. So to assume that we can know Amen. is ridiculous. It's
0: not- it is. And yet we want to. We want to. We want to get our hands around it, you know, and we're just not going to. And, and and you're right. I believe that faith in God, and I talk about it in this book, you know, we have to start with the right assumptions, you know, and, and the assumptions, we have to know that God is who he says he is. Right. And God does love us and that God does only things that will grow us. We may not like them, it doesn't matter. He doesn't say that, right. uh, but he's doing it all to grow us and to draw us closer to him. If we don't believe in him, he's drawing us to believe. If we believe mm-hmm. in him, he's drawing us into intimacy, as you say. Mm-hmm. But if, if that is the presumption, living life, is those times too, I know that I know you've experienced this, because I have, you know, it's the darkest, deepest hour, and I'll confess these things. then God then comes along and gives me strength and power to get through. You know, where did that come from? Well, it came from Him.
2: It has to because we have none of it.
0: I don't. I don't. I'm real easy to admit that. It just doesn't happen. I don't have it.
2: Well, from these experiences, God grew in you a heart of compassion for special need families, for um People who struggle, who are in grief, tell us how you moved into that. Where, in fact, just today, I couldn't believe this on inside, um, the daily e- news that we get, Psalm 38:15 says, "I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer, "O Lord, my God." He will answer, That is a promise. So in working through what you did, you were promised through scripture. There's a reason for this. Exactly. Tell me how you started turning that ship around and pure your ministry, which is phenomenal. People, you need to go look them up. It's an incredible ministry. Tell me first what that means, how you came up with it, and and how Zach's life now continues through that ministry.
0: It, it all started through this process, as you're saying. And- our ministry is focused on awakening the church, awakening average Christians, and and we experience this, and I know you've experienced it. And in fact, as I tell folks, as I share this, everybody, every pure parent has experiences to some degree or another, and it depends a lot on the disabilities and the types of disability and severity, but it happened this way. At our church, when we were, uh, when, when Zach was born, I was chairman of the deacons. My Pastor and family was our best friends. And there were people there, you know, we're about a thousand member church, a really good church, a godly church, a very mission-oriented church. But when Zach was born, it was sort of like a light came on. And, um, you know, we were prayer groups formed and things started happening and we're gonna pray y'all through this. And Katie and Kyle, my my daughter and son-in-law, were very involved there, Mm -hmm. um, as I was. And, um, but a funny thing happened. On the way to the forum, as the old movie goes, um, I laugh. I look back now, and I, I don't laugh. But I, what I saw happening was that people didn't know really how to respond beyond what I call the normal two-week sympathy period. Uh, we have a two-week <laughs> period where we'll bring chicken casserole and macaroni and cheese, and we will pray for you for about two weeks. But after two weeks, you got to get on with your life.
2: Yeah, move on, pal. It's been it's been it's, long enough.
0: And that's good for, you know, that's good for, it's not good, but that's the way we are around death and divorce and other tragedies that we think happen. But the birth of a special needs child who lives beyond two weeks creates a problem. Yep. And the problem is, in this case, was that people didn't really know what to do. And so what I saw happening, though, a dynamic that happened, was that I saw my daughter and son-in-law
1: yep.
0: being left out.
1: Yep.
0: And and it wasn't intentional in in the sense that they were, choosing to leave them out, but they were doing things like, well, we would call Katie and Kyle to come to this, but I know they're busy because Zach just got home from the hospital, but they didn't interpret it that way. And so what happened? I saw them drift away, drift away from the church because people just didn't know they loved them. I think they loved Zach, but they didn't know what to say or do. These are my friends. They're still my friends. I love them, but they didn't know what to do. And I saw Katie and Kyle drift away and they left the church. Thankfully, God took them to a little church north of Atlanta that said, we don't have a clue about special needs ministry. but This we know. We're going to love you. We're going to love your family. We're going to love Zach, and we're going to take care of y'all. And they did. And that was an exposure and a reaction that we have just tried to simply help churches understand that ministry to these families, ministry with these families, is not something you do to them. Yes. It's the fact that you love on them and you include them. And as I tell ter- churches every day, they just, families just want to be treated as normally as possible. But for that to happen, we have to do some pretty supernatural kinds of things.
2: Yes, yeah. What did that church do to really companion, to to love them through this?
0: They just included Zach. I mean, it's really funny. The church is not even handicap accessible. They took his, just uh, after Zach got to be about three, he was on a little wheelchair. They would take his wheelchair up and down stairs. And they didn't say, they didn't brag to say that yeah, our church is handicapped accessible, therefore we're doing special needs ministry. On the other hand, some Jews, they didn't say our church is not handicapped accessible, therefore we can't do it. They just did it, you know? And to me, it became, I talk about fact that special needs ministry is not architectural problem, yeah. it's an arterial problem. And it's a heart thing, you know. And, and this little church proved it just as, it proved it, great. And um, so, out of all of that, I started asking and talking with, with families, and I found out that, like I say, this experience that we had, I sat back and observed this, but the experience that my daughter, it was, I never heard a different story. Permissive. It is, and I've heard it with pastors. Yep if you can get them cornered into a room and say how do you feel they'll say i really feel alienated i feel isolated i feel alone people don't know what we're going through at home and i tell churches good concerned church members every day you know you can't make that go away you cannot totally erase it but we can do a lot more to comfort so we started pure ministries aimed specifically We really started the ministry, and we called it Zachariah's Way. That's another story, but we changed our name because we've gotten to be known as pure ministries, and our goal is simply to awaken what we call the average Christian sitting in a church pew that was, and this is real easy for me, to target people just like I was before Zach was born. Yes. Christians, people who love Jesus, people who are doing things but are unaware of this huge population and what is going on and the needs that special needs people and families have, but more importantly even than that, is the blessing that God has put in them that we're missing out on as the body of Christ. That's the bigger message for me. I mean, it really is, and I see it happening all the time, is that John, Zach, they have blessings and contributions and can touch people that you and I will never be able to do. Absolutely. And and I tell people, not, even the most severe person who never says a word can be an inspiration to people just by breathing. You know, if we can just understand that God is using these people in miraculous ways, they are not to be isolated, alienated in our neighborhoods and not included in our churches. They are change agents. They're the most... Implausible way that God would do this, but exactly what He said He was going to do. They did. He, Paul talks about it, First Corinthians, first chapter, twenty-six through twenty-nine, and He says, "There's not many noble or mighty or wise called. It's only the ones, the people who recognize themselves weak and base and despised. Pure people. You don't have to tell them that. They know that. They can see the glares. They can see the stares, and they know that. Therefore, God can use them." And my message to the church today is that we have to realize that that's who we are, that we're really, we get sort of spiritually prideful after we come to Christ. And we have to, the pure people around us can strip away our egos, strip away our prides like nobody else can. And I believe that's one way God is working. So that's the message we're trying to promote with Pure Ministries is, hey, church, hey, Christian, Let's wake up to see our God's moving in ways that we wouldn't think. And let's include these families in our churches.
2: I don't think anyone wakes up saying, I'm going to really hope to hurt somebody today or offend somebody. And especially on Sunday morning, a pastor is not waking up saying, well, I'm so excited about my sermon and I hope it offends everyone there. (laughs) However, if it is that almost 100%, it's actually the latest statistic I found was 98% of people with a disabled family member or with a loved one that doesn't fit in, so to speak, 98% report their greatest wounding has come from someone who says they're a Christian. And that grieves me.
0: Isn't that, isn't that, that is so sad.
2: It is so sad. When we are at our most vulnerable place, then to have a look or to have that two-week clock ding, okay, well, how come you're not over yet?
0: You know, Colleen, interesting, I don't want to interrupt you, but I I have to say something here because it's so important. You're talking about yourself, or you're relating your personal experience to me. We were in church. We live in a culture where most people aren't in churches. Hmm. And so when that baby's born, they say, well, let's go to that church on the corner. Those people love people. They walk in that church, and they get glared at and stared at, and they're not really welcomed. When they walk out the door, they're not walking out of, first baptist or first methodist or first Presbyterian or whatever it is they're walking out of church forever
2: that's exactly right
0: we have to win those people back you know there's people that have been hurt they're not in our church Jews anymore you know you are talking about the ones in the church and being and being injured and then there's just so many others that you know we've hurt and they they've tried maybe but they've gone back they left and they left for good until we go get them
2: I think I found that there are two of the great two of the strongest factors in in an offense that occurs is one folks in the church on a broad scale as I'm speaking of, or a professing christian mm-hmm. there's a fear of the unknown. I don't know what to do or how to do this or how to fix it. We want to fix it. you can't um you don't have to know anything about it. All you have to do is have it in your heart to love people who are hurting so there's fear but there's also a self issue it's a bit selfish to give someone a two-week time period because that fits what i'm comfortable with this has nothing to do with you ministry (laughs) has to do with them exactly and tell me then you say pure tell me what pure stands for And then tell me what you are doing, because I want people to to invest in this and to invest with their souls, is what I mean. Because it's the greatest thing. I mean, I have it right here, but I want to hear you talk
0: about it. Um, Before I do that, let me just say this, and you're exactly right. You know, when did our being spirit-filled Christians on this earth have to do with our comfort? and what makes us comfortable in reaching out. We talk about it, we we use the term at Pure Ministries about extending your comfort zone, not stepping out, not getting out of your comfort zone, but because that implies you're gonna get back in, but extending it, okay? In that getting to that point, we're saying, I may be fearful, I may be uncomfortable, I may feel awkward, I'm not gonna be able to control this you know, this this interchange I'm going to have with this person because I don't have control of And that just scares us to death. Yeah. But once again, you fall right back to what you said. When did it ever have to do with me? You know, and so until we get to that point, we have to get to that point, okay? We have to get to that point where I don't, you know, I know I have all these feelings, Lord, but you're going to be with me. And that's one of the things that, again, that pure people do. They refine us just by the simple fact of being there and the spirit moving within us to talk to them, to communicate with them, to love on them, because that causes us to get outside of ourselves. Now, pure. Yeah. What we found out with pure is that when I was out, and what we do basically is I'm out preaching, teaching about pure ministry concept, not our not our ministry, but just this whole notion. And um, when we first started, I noticed when I was in churches, the pastors say. What do, you want, what do you want to put in the bulletin for us to come? And I'd say, whatever you do, don't put disability or special needs because everybody will go to the lake or they won't come that day because what we're just talking about. Exactly. And so I was at a, a, a retreat that I've now, I speak at every year with the parents and caregivers up in Virginia. And it was, uh, at that time it was 500 developmentally disabled adults. And I went to that week one weekend and I left, and my I was so troubled when I when I drove out the door. My wife Lee said, "What's wrong with you? You're we driving out the gate." I said, "There's something wrong, because if there's something wrong with those people that I've just spent this weekend with, I want to be like them. I don't want to be like the way I was before I came, because I saw such warmth and authenticity and genuineness and love and acceptance among all these people." And so she said, as good wives do, as you know, Colleen. She had the God worked there. She said, "There's a purity about." it. I said, "That's it." That's it. That's it. I said, "There is." And in the next six months, whatever I did, God was just pounding on me this concept of pure. And this, it, what it, what it came, I wish I could say I was smart enough to think about it, but it well, I didn't. And but what it has come is to be another word. We figured out that really to impact our culture, really to change the church, we've got to get people not turn us off when they hear words, and not to use words that are hurtful. Yes. You know, though they're, they're perfectly acceptable in our culture, they're not good, and they don't build people up. They just constantly point to the fact that you have special needs. I have normal needs. You have special needs. I'm able, and you're disabled, and, 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 and we just have to change it. So God gave us this, and it gave it pure. And what it stands for, the P stands for perfectly created by a loving, sovereign God designed for his purposes. We all are that, but this is a label for people with disabilities. Yes. They need to know that. And more importantly, we need to know it, that they are perfectly created. They are perfectly created, period. God is sovereign. If he wanted it to be something different, it would be something different. I don't understand that, but I accept that. Yes. The stands for unique and desires, talents, gifts, blessings, and contributions that they can make to this world and to God's church. So we're trying to get a fact that a person is not a diagnosis, a person is unique, period. The R stands for receptive and responsive to our attempts to communicate an acts of love. Meaning simply getting past what we just talked about earlier, getting past our lack of feeling like we're in control, our sense of awkwardness, our uncomfortable, our fear, getting past all of that and just saying, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go talk to that person. Yes. Not expecting a perfect response, not expecting anything. And if we get something great and if we don't, great. Just because a person does not respond the way we think they should or appropriately or at all doesn't mean anything about their ability and thankfulness for receiving whatever ways we did to attempt to love on them. They may not respond the way we think. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it.
2: Well, but, notice you're saying the way we think. There's I, that big self again.
0: It it's, is. It is. You know, if I go up and I want to shake hands with somebody, if they don't put out their hand to shake hands, I think, why don't they shake hands? And then I notice they don't have a hand yeah. or they can't move their arm. You know, You know, how it's not about that. And, you know, and if you're, you know, if you're talking to and I tell people this, you know, if you're talking to a severely autistic nine-year-old little boy, he may never even look you in your face. He may never even slow down. But somewhere, if you could get into his heart, would know, that crazy man just tried to talk to me and love on me. I'm so thankful for that. They can't express that to me. But we're not doing it for the warm fuzzies we get in return. We're doing it because we're told to do it. That's what Jesus did. So that's what we do. Finally, the E stands for eternal. And our, our slogan we borrowed from Dr. I asked Dr. Jim Pearson, who's an expert. Yeah, I love like,
2: him.
0: He said, There are no disabled souls. And that's true. They're eternal. And so we just are trying, we're just a little organization. We're trying to, at least among Christians, and it's starting to permeate in culture, getting a little bit of traction. So let's just use words that are edifying, that are encouraging and pure is something we're trying to say. Let's don't say people with disabilities, we don't say people with needs. we just say pure people and pure families. I and love that. Well, it's really gotten, people start to understand that we're not trying to promote our ministry, we could give a rip about that. But what we are trying to do is to <clears throat> edify people. And people, uh, I think I told you this, the first time we introduced this was at a church, I was preaching at a church in Gainesville, Florida, and things are going on. Testimony is a great time. But they played our video, we have a video. Hmm. And um, yeah. the people in this video are saying, I'm a pure person. They have a, we have 15 of them. And it's just a little a snapshot of them, of them saying, different people saying, I'm a pure person. Some you can understand, some you can't. One of them has an audio box. It says, I am a pure person. But they're all saying I'm a pure person. So there's a beautiful song this guy wrote for us. And then at the end, the screen goes black. One person still on the video, just black screen, just the voice, said, I'm a pure person. Well, before I could get up to the pulpit, there were about 10 or 15 kids in that sanctuary who totally unsolicited, unprompted or anything, all stood up and started saying, "They were I'm a pure person. I'm a pure person. Before I could get up there, these people were, to me, I said, I got up there, I said, we can go home. We've done, we have, for the first time in the life, they were kids there with Down syndrome, with cerebral palsy, different kinds of disabilities. And they were standing up and I said, you realize this, this was the first time these kids could proudly proclaim who they were. They did not say, I'm a child with Down, I'm a person with Down syndrome. They said, I'm a pure person. And it's resonating with them for sure. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to spread that message. That's, that's our because I tell people all the time, our ministry is not rocket science. It is church. Let's be the church to people and uh, all people, regardless of abilities or disabilities.
2: One of the things that I've had to really learn, and I know other special needs families, and uh, now I can say pure families, have to learn this is when there are challenges, you focus on what is possible not what is not possible. That makes all the difference in the world. Okay. I'm gonna focus on what my son can do and what he um, does just by walking out the door. His courage, his endurance, his pain tolerance. I mean, those are things that I I so admire. And so what you're saying isn't, is- what, Isn't
1: that
0: the truth? I and mean, if you yeah. could just live life like John lives it, and, you know i mean really think about that i mean i know you think about it but if we can think about that and we can look and just think about that and th- there's you know there's so many there's so many factors in all of this and you know i just really believe god is he's he's doing something really special through these people and I, I know that is a foreign message to the world and it is a foreign message even to the christian world yes. but you know it's true and i know it's true and we may not be the smartest spoon in the drawer but we we have perceived that We live this, and we know this, and it needs to be talked about. And yes. you know, and I think what you're saying too. I'd like to. I guess where time is up, but you know, when we do when we do use the word pure, if you, if all the other things are unimportant, you said it just a minute ago. You're concentrating on who John is, and how he's made. And I say this lots of times, and I don't mean to be her- heretical at all by saying what I'm about to say. But I believe that if we go to the father and we have a child with a disability, be it any of the common ones or something that's uncommon, and we say, God, would you please heal my son or my daughter of, fill in the blank. I believe that most times God says, of what? I made him that way. I made her that way. She is uniquely the way I wanted to for my purposes why in the world would i quote unquote heal her you know and and that gets back to that mindset is my son or daughter is that person a mistake nope no way or god is not who he says he is no they're more, they're not they're not just somebody else that we have to adapt to or to accommodate they are people to embrace to and love to be our friends that will cause us to get outside of ourselves in ways that you won't do to me and I won't do to you, that John can do to me that you can't do. That's exactly right. That is, that's a message that, you know, I believe it can transform the church. I really do. I believe that it it just makes sense to me that God's using these people that we think are not worthy. You know, we we don't even want to disrupt our church service for them. These are the very same people that God is using to really tell us what worship is and to show us what worship is and to show us what living through patience and endurance and all those characteristics we see people doing, that we get upset if we have a hangnail. So, um, yeah, I believe I'm I'm pretty passionate about this because I know that God's doing it. I really do. And really passionate about helping other Christians see it because I know everybody's not going to have a John and everybody's not going to have a Zach you don't have to do that. That's really what I really get encouraged when I know people who are drawn into special needs ministry, who don't have a family connection. You know, right. God, I really, I really try to commend those people because that's the way most of us are gonna be. You know, if we're, gonna, if we're going to accept and love on these people.
2: Well, it's, it's exactly what Christ has done for us. Exactly. He, because he created us uniquely sovereignly perfectly and we we long for someone to be receptive and to be responsive to our needs and he is he doesn't say oh oh i made a mistake can you just go sit over there in the other room and we'll get back to you when you stop
0: i should have done this yesterday i meant to do this yesterday but i forgot no no, he doesn't think that way. Right.
2: He just reaches in and he loves us. Well, how can people find you and how can they find Pure Ministry and what y'all are doing in the resources?
0: Uh, it's pretty easy. We're on the web and it's purepure-ministries.com. We do a number of things to do this. We're, you know, again, we're out in churches preaching and teaching and quote unquote training, though there's really no such thing as training. We try to, our training really involves coming in and talking to people that are God's moving in hearts, yes. but they don't have a lot of knowledge about people with disabilities and families. We try to just inform them a little bit about what these people and families are going through so they can be their friends and relate to them better. That's yes. what our training really involves. And then we are um, we do a number of things um, beyond that. We have some material coming out. I've got a new book coming out.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm so excited. We,
0: yeah, and we do these things that we may get to be worked together one day on called Pure Celebrations, we yes. to, which are big events, again, to just get people to come to an event that if we had called it a special needs conference, we'd get 10 people to come. If we call it a Pure Celebration, we'll get thousands to come. And then have Christian entertainers and speakers there that normally have some kind of connection to disability, but they don't all. And during that night of worship and praise, uh, we sort of Slowly introduced the concept of you ever think about ministering to people with disabilities and then we have we follow up with sessions and training after that in that city we try to blanket a city at a time and then you know we're trying to get into seminaries and and teach this whole concept of awaken to pure people in the church um and so that's what we do again it's not complex it's just what we do
2: it's not complex it's exactly what jesus did over and over and over and over and over and over and what he continues to do today okay. is he looks and says, I'm going to reach down to you and love you and care for you. And I'm not going to ask you to get over it today. I'm going to love you through it and be your companion. Um, I do want everyone to know about your book. It's called um, A Better Way Where Least is Most. And I think 14 years ago, would you have thought that? No. I wouldn't have either.
0: No, no, I,
2: no. But look at who you are now, David, and who God has chosen to use to bring hopefully a revolutionary change in our churches and caring for others. Um, I'd like to close with asking you if there are any special passages of scripture or things that you would say to those who are watching us talk wherever they are on
0: the journey. Yeah, I think, golly, there's so many. But
2: You have to write another <laughs> book. I,
0: yeah, I think I would choose, if I, if I had one verse to encourage people with, and this is a strange verse, I realize, um, and when I say it, people are going to probably dismiss it because they've heard it a million times, but I'd like to just point out one thing that maybe they haven't thought about, is Matthew twenty-five forty, that says, Whenever you do this to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And, you know, that's, that's, that's sort of one of those warm, fuzzy kind of things. And when we say, oh, yeah, we get that. But I would just challenge people to think about it just for a minute. And we know what the least of these, and it's presented in the, in the whole chapter before that, where the, where the sheep have come in and they've, they've asked, you know, Jesus has ushered them into the kingdom. Not because, they're, not because they've done certain things, but because they're sheep and sheep do what sheep do. And these sheep were visiting people and feeding people and clothing people. And then Jesus says something so profound to them. And he says, that was me. That was me when you were out there doing that. You were doing it to me. And that's what he's saying in that verse. And though he doesn't mention pure people in that verse, they're obviously the least of these. They're the least of the least of these in our culture's perspective. That Jesus is saying this, and I I just, I love it. And this is so profound to me is that we want to meet Jesus, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus says, you will find me when you do it to the least of these." Somewhere in that act of service, somewhere in that friendship, in that relationship, I am actually there, literally there. He doesn't say as unto me or symbolically. He says, you will find me there. And and so when I'm dealing with, like I had my Zach and I can know that I look back now and I know that I could even feel it that I was that God was in that I call it a divine transaction. I can't explain it, I don't know, but it's the living out of that verse is that when we do that, as I told you, as I challenge people at all of our pure celebrations as they leave, and it's simply this the next time you're in Walmart,
2: mm-hmm. find
0: some pure person that you would normally run from and run to them. Yep, and just let God lead you to speak say invite to church love on relate to just let god take that seed and develop it in your heart and um that's sort of my challenge and it comes just from that because even in that little encounter god promises yes i'm going to be there so yeah. that I, I think that that would be what i would choose
2: i love that thank you for being a servant to the least of thieves. It just makes my day to be able to connect with others who are vulnerable and share in the growth process of transformation. Hmm. So, David, this has been great. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day. I've
0: enjoyed it. You do too.
2: All right. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website.
1: Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.